0: Just go to indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed.
1: Welcome into Candlestick Chronicles, a 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Kyle Madsen. I write about the 49ers over at NinersWire.cam, part of the USA Today Sports Media Group. Joining me shortly is Chris Biederman. He covers the 49ers for the Sacramento B, and rumor has it he has a take. So we are going to discuss his take. I don't know what it is. I said, hey, don't tell me what the take is. We'll discuss it live on the pod, and we'll get into that. We'll get to Frank Gore saying that he is going to retire and kind of what that means. So let's dive in.
0: Blue wire. Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles.
2: second
1: back inside a 30 yard line Nick Bosa drops Aaron Rodgers for a 13 yard loss quick pass caught by Kittle he dives and he's in touchdown 49ers there's nothing better that you can say to me as we kind of because our our show prep involves a little bit of texting here and there and uh then we then we just kind of talk it out before before we do the pod there's nothing better to me than when you say i have a take.
3: yeah so because it, you don't it say that
1: willy-nilly you're not a you're not a knee-jerk take guy you've thought about this
3: oh I'm, I'm definitely not a knee-jerk take guy and maybe this is this is my um maybe this is my take is sort of not knee-jerk maybe it's kind of anti-knee-jerk um are you ready i'm buckled in the 49ers are loaded they're really good, like they're fine <laughs> like I, I so I was thinking about the roster, <laughs> I was like how how do we talk about you know this off season and and try like in ways that are different than what we've been doing and talking about oh, they need a fortify cornerback and they you know they they might have issues along the interior of the offensive line, and you know Jimmy Garoppolo, et cetera, et cetera, you look at this roster and it's really good, right, and like you can look at how many top five guys they have at certain positions, right? Like you could argue the 49ers have top five, top three, top two guys at like defensive end, tight end, linebacker, left tackle, and Debo Samuel, depending on how you feel about a group of receivers in the NFL at any given time, right?
1: And very quietly, Elijah Mitchell was the eighth leading rusher in the NFL last year playing 12 games.
3: Right. And so again, if you feel good about Kyle Shanahan, then you're like, all right, they have an elite roster, a very good coach, and are coming off two deep playoff runs in the last three seasons. The only time they didn't was 2020, which was a super strange year when they lost just about everybody to injury on top of dealing with the pandemic and everything else. So as much hand-wringing that has been going on about where the 49ers are this offseason, it's like, man, they they're still really good, right? And and they can go basically as well as they play, which is more about them executing and, and playing at a high level than um than like roster deficiencies, right? Like I, I don't. Right. So so taking a step back and thinking about all the things that that we talk about and 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 criticize the team for, it's like, well, if they go into the season thinking that if they get good quarterback play, they could potentially be in the Super Bowl mix, I think they're right, and they're not. That they're not necessarily doing the wrong thing by avoiding upsetting the apple cart when it comes to making drastic roster decisions. Right. So it's not, it's not exactly like a super hot take, but it's just like, let's take a step back and remember that this team is good and to, to, you know, spend so much time talking about, and, and we do it. Like, I, I don't, you know, I we're guilty as charged or I'm guilty as charged, but like talking about the Jimmy Garoppolo thing, one way or another Jimmy Garoppolo is not going to be on the team and so Mm -hmm. whether or not we want to talk about the efficiency of the way they're using their cap space or their reluctance to just cut him because they want to get a fourth or fifth round pick for him at some point whatever like ultimately it's it's kind of nitpicking but I you know I understand this is this is what we do and when you record a podcast two or three times a week like this is the stuff that we, that we have to do, but like taking a step back, particularly compared to where this roster was in like 2015, 2016, 2017, even 2018, like the 49ers should. And I think do feel very good about where they're at. And that doesn't, they're, they're not necessarily in a spot where they have to go out and be ultra aggressive in free agency. And if they lock up Nick Bosa and Dito Samuel, like we all assume they will, um, and do it in a way that's not destroying their cap situation in the future, which I don't think they will because the cap is going to spike pretty substantially. They're in a very good spot. So as long as they draft continue to draft, well pay the right guys, I think they're going to be in this good spot for a long time. And ultimately that that's dependent on, you know, Trey Lance, of course, which is really right. the the big thing for the 49ers is doing everything they can to develop Trey Lance.
1: That's my take. I'm, I'm of the mind that, having good players is better than having not good players. Yeah, that's (laughs) thank you. That's a take I've developed. Um, So I understand. So so I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to come across like I'm pooing the idea that like, Oh, the 49ers would be better if they had Chandler Jones or Allen Robinson or, or, you know, pick a big name, JC Jackson, like, Yes, they would, they would definitely be better, but this front office has never been the type of front office. Like they don't operate the way the Rams do. They don't, they don't do that. And so I understand the the consternation as the Rams who just won the Super Bowl and beat you in the NFC championship game are losing Von Miller, but signing Bobby Wagner and signing Alan Robinson, but they lost Odell Beckham Jr. They lost Von Miller. Like they're losing players as well. The 49ers have just drafted well enough and got Trent Williams for a bargain for a fifth round pick in the 2020 draft and a third round pick in the 2021 draft. Like they, 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 for the most part, drafted the star players. They didn't need to go out and sign them. So when you have five, six guys who are the best at their position, among the best at their position, that it's you're good. Like you're 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 set. Now, how do they fill out the margins? That's what's going to matter, and that's why the Traverius Ward signing to me is a really significant move for them this offseason. He is a bona fide starting <laughs> bona fide. He is a quality starting NFL cornerback. To add to Emmanuel Mosley and Ambry Thomas, who one of those two will emerge as the other starting cornerback, probably Emmanuel Mosley. And then they have some options on what to do with Ambry Thomas, whether they move uh, Mosley to the slot or whether they draft him in their corner, whatever. Like there aren't a ton of holes on this roster outside the offensive line. That's the kind of elephant in the room here. But when you're stacking the Niners roster up against every other roster, if they're getting good, good, average to good quarterback play from Trey Lance, like they're going to be in the mix. Yeah. And that's absolutely. if he's, if he's average to good in year one.
3: Absolutely. And that's really what I sort of, you know, generated this take off of was just looking at the roster. Like, you know, there are some years where you go in and you're like, well, we don't know who's going to, who's going to start at this position, that position, this other position. It's like, with the exception of maybe left guard and strong safety, every, every spot seems set with an option that you're like, all right, this guy's not going to be the reason we necessarily lose a bunch of games, right? Like you obviously would prefer to have Lake and Tomlinson over Colton McKivitz or Aaron Banks or Jalen Moore or whatever, but is the drop off at guard really going to be the difference between a successful season and an unsuccessful season for the 49ers? I tend not to think so, right? Like I think, the 49ers some one way or another will be able to get replacement level play at the left guard spot and if one of these guys develops into a plus level starter then you're still cooking with gas like the team has been right and then you could make a similar argument about right guard and that you know those same names i mentioned but now daniel brunskill is is he going to be able to to hold off the competition there or are the 49ers going to potentially draft somebody um, that could unseat him, but again, we're talking about the guard spots, which are probably the least important of all 22 starters that you have. Right when we really think about each individual position, the least valuable on the field, offense or defense, is probably offensive guard, particularly if you have good players at center and tackle, which we think the 49ers do, depending on how Mike McGlinchey comes back from his injury, and and obviously that's sort of an unknown but it sounds like the 49ers are optimistic about that. Right. And when mm-hmm. McGlinchey's healthy and playing, you know, he's at worst, he's a league, league average tackle at best. He's a, a huge plus in the running game and somebody that you wish would be a little bit better in the passing game. Right. But ultimately right. he's Mike, Mike McClinchey is not a disaster, right? He's not, he's not the reason that the 49ers didn't win uh, you know, the super bowl two years ago. So mm-hmm. like, and then uh, on the defensive side, you can go through the, the starting 11 or the projected 11. You could say, all right, losing Kwan Williams in the nickel spot is pretty important. But if you're replacing him with Emmanuel Mosley, is that going to be a drastic loss? And yes, there's going to be a transition for Mosley from the outside to the inside. But you remember when he first got to the 49ers as an undrafted free agent a few years ago, he was playing nickel corner, and that was that was the position they, they first started working him out in. And he sort of moved to the outside as a necessity and then took off from there. So if the plan is to move Emmanuel Mosley inside and then you play Ambry Thomas and Shavarius Ward on the outside, I don't think there's going to be that much of a drop off from Kwan Williams. And you can look at strong right. safety and say, all right, Jaquaski Tart is a free agent. Um when healthy, Tart is a pretty solid player, but I don't think he's anybody that the 49ers absolutely can't live without, right? So you right. have Talanoa Hufanga, who showed some good signs, particularly on special teams. And if you don't feel good enough about him to start, then you could still bring in um you know a, a draft pick, maybe a third-round pick that could compete. Moore. Yeah, and you have Tarvarius Moore, right? That's a good point. If Tarvarius Moore is healthy, then maybe you're starting safeties again or Jimmy Ward and Tarvarius Moore. And then you're in a pretty good spot, right, um, for, from the secondary perspective. So, like, the, the, the point here is, like, as much hand-wringing as has been done about the 49ers roster throughout the offseason, it doesn't have a lot of holes. It has a lot of high-level talent. And if you, th- if you throw some draft picks at a couple positions, then you do feel pretty good about the depth that you have. And that's not to say that the roster is perfect. And obviously, you know, we've talked about the Jimmy Garoppolo situation in nauseam, and maybe they could have handled that a little bit differently and altered the, the assets or at least the cap space that they have. But ultimately, when looking at this thing, I would put the 49ers roster up with anybody else in the NFC.
1: That's kind of so this follows a little bit along the lines of what I was saying going into the NFC championship, because going into that game, the talk was like, well, the Rams I'm picking the Rams just because they have a better roster. And it was like, it, it's that much better that you're just going to pick them? because, And I posited at the time, if you swap the quarterbacks, we're talking about how the Niners have the better roster. Even if the Rams had the best two players in the game in, in Aaron Donald and, and Cooper Cup the talk is all the stuff the Niners have done with Al Shire they undrafted free agent who who became a starter um it's oh Samson Ebukam really good off season signing really smart off season signing to get Arden Key look at how look how brilliant the Niners front office is and it's all because of the quarterback like that's that's something that i think has gotten skewed a little bit and how we have been. Evaluate football because the quarterback is so important. But I think so many things the Niners did last year with their roster and maybe even this offseason have gotten overlooked because the quarterback play hasn't been good enough, and so the opportunity to talk about it just hasn't been there. Is it, does that am I making sense? Yeah,
3: absolutely. <laughs> okay. Like the the, the quarterback okay. play is ultimately the biggest thing. I think I was looking at you sideways because we're having a little bit of connection issues here, um, but. Yeah, no, I, I think you're 100% right in that the most important thing for the 49ers this offseason is to get improved play from their quarterback. And I think, I think they can with Trey Lance because even if he isn't as efficient as Jimmy Garoppolo or even if he doesn't run the offense as well as Jimmy Garoppolo simply because he doesn't have the same experience level, I think it's very possible that... His athleticism, his skill set, and the ability to be more diverse in the way you scheme up your offense can give the 49ers a big advantage that they didn't have last year when the passing game is pretty limited to, you know, within 15 yards of the line of scrimmage and over the middle of the field for the most part when Jimmy Garoppolo is your quarterback, on top of his propensity to turn the ball over. Right. And so just by Trey Lance being able to make plays with his legs, either by design or off schedule. Um, Being able to scramble for a a first down conversion um, on third and six is something that you never really had with Jimmy Garoppolo, right? Being able to at least factor him into the running game is something you couldn't do with Jimmy Garoppolo. And you're still putting Trey Lance into an offense with, like we said, one of the best tight ends in the league in George Kittle, one of the best receivers in the league. In Debo Samuel, certainly one of the best running games by design uh, with Kyle Shanahan at the helm. Uh, One of the best left tackles in the league in Trent Williams, the all decade center from from last decade. Alex Mack, who's obviously way up there if he does come back Um, a very good running back in Elijah Mitchell. And then you still have Brandon Ayuk, who got better as last year went entering his third season. This could be a a you know, pretty significant season for Brandon Ayuk in terms of his development. And if he does take that next step, then you're looking at a really good array of weapons with a very good offensive play caller and designer and Kyle Shanahan. So like a, a young quarterback is sort of optimized to step in and play well pretty quickly. And we've seen it happen throughout the league, especially with a lot of the young star quarterbacks in the league when they play and they're in a good situation, they tend to play pretty well. So if you believe in Trey Lance, Mm -hmm. like the 49ers seem to, then that upgrade that they need to make at quarterback that could get them over the top, that could be there for them. Um, And that could be the difference between them having a, a successful season and not after, like you said, we went into the NFC title game saying, well, the rosters are pretty equal if you just look at, Um, if you just look at all 22 guys, but the difference, the big advantage that the Rams had was at quarterback. And if you can narrow that gap with Trey Lance, as opposed to what Jimmy Garoppolo offered against Matthew Stafford, then you are potentially in a spot where you could say, man, maybe we're not that far off from, from achieving our goals after all.
1: Yeah. It's kind of been the entire thing. Like since they drafted Trey Lance, every discussion about the 49ers present and future was tinged with right tinged with there was this, 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 the Trey Lance aspect just hung over every bit of that conversation because it's like, okay, this free agency move, this draft pick, this team need. It's like, okay, yeah, but all of that is whatever. If Trey Lance is awesome. Like if, if Lance winds up being the quarterback they think he is, nobody's nobody cares anymore that the Niners didn't go sign Chandler Jones or a, a bigger name corner or pick a pick a top free agent. And it's that was the case in the in the draft, too. Like what did the rest of the draft look like? Oh, there Aaron Banks was a miss and Trey Sermon might be a miss. Well, it doesn't really matter if Trey Lance is good. And it also helps that um, Elijah Mitchell was really good last year. But Trey Lance is what matters in all of this more than anything. And you can nitpick and say that they're not putting him in the best position to succeed because of what they did along the offensive line or what they didn't do along the offensive line in free agency. But I don't think that I don't think that we're going to look back on this season, regardless of how it ends and go, man, you know what? The Niners lost this season because of how they handled free agency.
3: Yeah, and again, it comes down to value, right? Like, yeah, is Lake and Tomlinson worth 13 million dollars a year? Probably not to the 49ers, but sure, he is to the Jets, mm-hmm. right? But like, you you have to be smart in the way you invest in certain positions, and it's the same thing that goes with DJ Jones, and and we've said that, yep. um, that you know, you have a price that you're willing to pay, and then if those guys exceed those prices elsewhere then you let them go and that's ultimately what the 49ers did and yeah you're losing something there but i don't think either of those guys are irreplaceable so these are the type of turn these are the type of moves the type of roster turnover that happens every single offseason and what's interesting to me and i was talking you know i was talking with with tracy sandler on on her show um today which you should go check out but like we always say like, oh man, this is this is the most one of the most important drafts in team history, and like this is the most important draft of you know this general manager's tenure or regime or whatever. I feel the exact opposite this year. Right, like the draft's important. You you would love to find some starting quality players somewhere in this draft, but like even if they don't, I don't think it ultimately. This draft is going to impact this roster all that much because I don't think it would kill the 49ers if they if guys they drafted in the second third round weren't starters from year one because they have a lot of guys who can start already and you feel okay about maybe with the exception of you know Aaron Banks who's a large question mark would even still like I feel pretty good about Jalen Moore if Jalen Moore has to play left guard. And right. then, you know, Daniel Brunskill started at right guard for the last couple of years like that. Those are playable players, so right? Like, yeah. Would you like to upgrade that? Oh, those spots? Absolutely. But like, I don't view this draft as like make or break for this season. I think it's this draft is more about getting players that you feel comfortable can develop into long term contributors down the road and not necessarily this season because your roster is already in a pretty good spot.
1: Yeah. What they have to avoid, I, I I don't disagree with you, but what they do have to avoid is they had a similar thing in the twenty twelve draft where it's like this team's set, and then the twenty twelve draft was a total disaster, and I think it played into a played a significant role in why uh, that team went downhill so quickly. So the draft definitely matters for the coming seasons. Maybe yeah. not so much this year, but
3: yeah, no, that, I mean that's what yeah. I said that, but like, even still, you have a lot of these guys locked up. Like, you're going to have a lot of your key guys locked up contractually.
1: Yes, yes. So that's all I'm that's saying. All they I'm can't. Saying. Wh- they can't. They they can't with the draft. But it's definitely not like, oh man, they need to nail this one.
3: Well, no, they don't yeah. need to find starters in this draft, like immediate starters. Yes. yes. That's kind of my point. This may be a conversation
1: for another day, but I'm wondering if they. They wind up taking more like traitsy guys in this draft.
3: Yeah, they could just upside just big guys.
1: fast dudes and see if they can play them.
3: Yeah, sp- just just a sparked up class,
1: dude. So sparked up, just a rocked up <laughs> class, quicker than fast.
3: Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I think. Yeah, I think they could do that. I mean, it ultimately, like, they need interior linemen. They could use pass rushers always. And, and yeah, like, one spot we didn't really talk about was defensive end opposite Nick Bosa. And, you know, Samson Abukam, only four and a half sacks in the regular season, but he had a sack in each of their playoff games, or at least half a sack in each of their playoff games.
1: And he was awesome over the final, like, eight or nine games. Yeah. It took him a while to get rolling, but once he got rolling, he was really, really good.
3: Yeah, so he, you know, that that's, I think, in an ideal world, Samson Ebukam's probably your like number three defensive end. Mm-hmm. But if you do draft somebody who could potentially be your two, your your number two defensive end to to potentially replace D Ford, and you have Ebukam, you know, sort of rotating with that person. I think you're fine. And ultimately, I think the 49ers are going to do that. Like if I were to bet which position they address in round two in the draft, I think I would put edge rusher first because I believe that they could that I believe that they believe that they could find guards later and wouldn't necessarily need to invest a second round pick in a guard for the second straight year, particularly with Jalen Moore on the roster. But mm-hmm. so I, I think they might be able to solve potentially as long as they find the right guy, their edge rusher, um you know, that, that need for depth at edge rusher in the second round. And as our guy, Nick sent, sent the, yeah. sent, sent the tweet into uh, into the group chat saying, you know, or what Daniel Jeremiah is saying that there are 20 edge rushers that he really likes in this class. If there are 20, man, they might be able to get a couple of those guys. I've, um, I've heard and, the
1: same thing about this
3: year's edge depth. Right. That's what I'm talking about.
1: I know i was saying i've heard the same thing oh you've
3: heard the same thing got it yeah. yes yeah we all yeah it's widely known
1: <laughs> any news on the cornerback class
3: i think it's sim- similarly <laughs> deep but i think the fact that they got trevarius ward after taking ambry thomas and and D'Amador Lador last year i think corner is not going to be the most pressing if they have not that they shouldn't draft it but i think Right. I think edge rushers has to, would you say, what do you agree with me? That edge rusher is probably the favorite in terms of like, if you were to say what position, if you were trying to bet on what position they would take in the second round, would you say edge rusher is a favorite? Yes. I think so. too.
1: Yes, I think so. I think offensive line is their top need, but if I'm betting on what they're going to pick, I think it's edge all caps.
3: <laughs> that's, that's the only kind of edge there is. Yeah. Um, uh,
1: the, the, The one, the one way I think that changes is if like, if like a really good corner falls that far to 61, like if something happens in a a corner falls or I think they're going to be in the mindset because of what you laid out about this draft and its importance to this year. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they're just like, Hey, this awesome player fell, forget position and they're going to take them. Oh yeah, whether it's a receiver or maybe not a running back, but like whether it's a receiver or a tight end or something, uh, it wouldn't it wouldn't shock me if if they wind up going a little bit off the beaten path. But if I'm betting on it, I you're right, I'm I'm betting on edge.
3: Yeah, and maybe it's a safety, um, but yeah, maybe it's a nickel corner. Yeah, but I think a sneaky one might be tackle. Right. Like if you're yeah. not sure, cause, because Mike McGlinchey's going into the fifth year, his fifth year option season um, mm-hmm. coming off the torn quad, like you might want a little bit of insurance there. But again, I think the 49ers do feel pretty good about Jalen Moore. I know they say they love Colton McKivitz, who was a gold helmet guy leading into his draft. Um, you know, I, I think for right now they feel OK about their tackle depth. But if they're like, yeah, we're we're probably not going to sign resign Mike McGlinchey. Or at least pay him a, a huge amount. Maybe they start thinking about that position, and given that it is a premium position, maybe that's a spot they think about in round two. And maybe that, maybe they find an, an offensive lineman who part of his value is like he can play tackle and guard, and maybe starts off you know competing with Daniel Brunskill for that guard spot, and then maybe eventually kicks out to replace Mike McGlinchey if the 49ers decide not to bring McGlinchey back. Right. Um, but ultimately, I still think edge rusher should is should be the betting favorite. I know they should take the best player available or whatever and shouldn't just draft for need, but if you're just looking at this draft class and, and how it might line up, I think Ed Rusher would be a safe bet.
1: And I think they can do both with best player available and hitting a need.
0: Right. It's all about value, Kyle. Yeah. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
1: We'll, uh we can dive into the draft a little bit further. That's actually coming up in like three weeks, a little over it three is. weeks. So you want to talk about Frank Gore? Sure. Frank Gore announced on the SF Niners podcast that he's going to sign a one-day contract with the 49ers eventually to retire as a 49er and then retire, which I felt like it was going to be one of those things where we were sitting here in like 2028 and then Frank Gore finally announced his retirement. <laughs> You're kind of like, wait, he hadn't done that yet, (laughs) Um, but I'm, 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 I'm glad it's finally happening and that he's not going to try and hold on for one more year.
3: It's always a little tough, particularly in these sports that are physical, like football. I mean, you sometimes see it with boxing and oddly enough, Frank Gore's has dabbled in boxing a little bit, but like you really don't love to see when guys hold on too long. And and you can really see their body sort of take a beating. And not mm-hmm. that, that that's what Frank Gore's done, because I think one of his everlasting traits is his ability to avoid punishment, right? Like for a running back, he was always really good at avoiding big hits, taking the yards that were there and ultimately living mm-hmm. to fight another down. Um, and if it meant getting two yards instead of, you know, he, he took he took whatever yardage he could get, but he was content with taking two yards if that's all that the play allowed for. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that ultimately is one of the biggest reasons why he was able to last for as long as he did is because he, he knew when to avoid and, and how to avoid all those big hits. Um, but as somebody like I got to cover Frank for two seasons, uh, my first year was 2013 and I mean, I was, you know, when I first started covering the 49ers, I didn't, I didn't know anything about anything really. I was just kind of there <laughs> as a fly on the wall, just sort of observing and and writing about what I saw. And I was, you know, too nervous to ask questions in press conferences because there were guys who had been in, you know, I was mid twenties and there are guys have been covering the team for as long as I've been alive. Um, But one thing that, that stood out to me about those early seasons was that you know Frank Gore was super helpful to me and answered que- answered my questions when I did have them and talked to me on and off the record and and helped me become more informed and and a better reporter just by just by you know being honest and and telling me how it was and and having those real conversations that as reporters covering a team that you always sort of want to have because you have to sift through so much bullshit as a reporter especially in press conferences and that's one of the reasons why i despise these zoom press conferences so much is because it's not you you don't have personal interaction and everybody feels like everything they're saying is being broadcast to you know thousands of fans live and and that's exactly what's happening with zoom whereas when you're in a locker room setting and you can talk to these guys face to face and have a conversation that's just between you him and the recorder and it's not being broadcast live you're you're and even off the record too like no recorder involved and knowing that, that what you, what the players are saying is not going to be in your story or whatever you're able to have much more authentic conversations and frank gore was one of those people who would have those authentic conversations and he would have them with me when i was brand new and didn't know anything about anything and so i i always appreciated that about him um he's one of the only players that's uh, that that's, you know, had that not only players, but he, well, when I think about, well, like if you were to ask me which player over the years had the best relationship with the media and was the most honest with the media, um, during his time there, I think to a man to, to a, 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 other people on the beat who, who've covered the team much longer than I have, they would, they would put Frank or way up there. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think that authenticity is is a reason why he's so endeared by the fan base, by the media, but also by the organization, because they really value his input. Um, and it sounds like if um, you know, if you read what Matt Barrows has has been reporting, that uh, it sounds like Gore is going to be in the front office. And none of this is really a surprise. We, you know, we've we've all kind of suspected that Gore would be either in player engagement uh development you know assistance running backs coach whatever he, he would have some sort of role within the organization and and it's been sort of assumed for a while that he would sign a one-day contract with the 49ers so he could officially retire as a member of the 49ers um and have a press conference and and have you know everybody in the bay area write glowing things about him which will happen at some point this off season but no aside from as how good of a football player he was and how much he meant to the fan base like my experience of Frank Gore was nothing but positive, and and I'm happy for him that he's had such a long career. Um, and I hope he goes to the Hall of Fame. I don't have a vote, but um, I'm I'm pretty sure he'll get in, given that he's a third leading rusher all time. Um, but I'm sure you have you have a you know a, a good account of what Frank Gore meant to you as a longtime observer of the 49ers too.
1: Yeah, uh, real quick on the Hall of Fame note. If somebody has an anti-Frank Gore Hall of Fame take, um, put it in a box and then stick the box up your ass. <laughs> um, Eloquently I just, said. Yeah, thank you. Uh, if you play running back for 16 years in the NFL in this era, like, and you're productive like he was, 12 straight years of 1,200 yards from scrimmage and, and all that jazz, uh, you're in. Like you're the third leading rusher of all time. You have sixteen thousand rushing yards. You're right. Yeah. Like you averaged a thousand yards a year for sixteen years. That's crazy talk. Yeah, he's it's like, really anyways.
3: Good. It's really good. I think he's a hall of famer. I do think there's something like if if there is a case against Frank Gore's hall of fame candidacy,
1: get your box ready, Chris.
3: I I'm if if you want something to put in your box, um. <laughs> <laughs> It is. It is that the like when when the people say like, well, was Frank Gore? I like how many years was Frank Gore like a top four running back in the league? And mm-hmm. I haven't I haven't like gone through each year to like figure it out. But like, I understand that point. But I would also say, you know, like he was he was in an era with Ladainian Tomlinson, right, and Adrian Peterson and some other really good dudes. And I wouldn't necessarily hold that back against him because he he's sort of like the last of a dying breed in that he was the ultimate l- longevity running back in a time that the NFL was transitioning from having those bell cow running backs towards right every team having four running backs and and throwing the ball 40 times a game
1: for for me frank gore was cuz i You know, grew up rooting for the 49ers. And in 2006, so he's drafted in 05. In 2006, his second year, the 49ers were abysmal. They were really bad. But Frank Gore was awesome. And he was awesome in 07 and 08 and 09. He He was just consistently really good when the team was really not. And whether it was JTO Sullivan or Sean Hill or Alex Smith or Troy Smith, like you just knew number 21 was going to be back there churning out yards. And he was going to do so while very clearly loving the sport. And, and I think it felt like Frank Gore appreciated fans in the same way that fans appreciated him, which is super rare. And I think that, was was part of what was so endearing about him and then you know as he kind of started to age into 2011 2012 he was the focal point of an offense that went to three straight nfc championship games at a point where his career was supposed to be going on the on the downturn so i just what he did was remarkable and the fact that he was so good when they were so bad and then he continued to be good when they finally got good And then to finish his career the way he did as the Niners all-time leading rusher, he had a huge game in that 2014 season finale against Arizona at Levi's. He does a lap around the stadium after it was just a, it was just a perfect career outside of not winning a ring, but outside of that, like (laughs) what, I don't know what more you want from a, from a player, um, on on the team that you either root for or cover or observe like he was the the you know you always say a pro's pro he was that and he was also an excellent player like it just if every if if every NFL player had a had the 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 league would be better if any if every NFL player approached the game the way Frank Gore did
3: yeah. And not to be like a football hipster who loves this type of stuff, but like one of my favorite things about Frank Gore was just his willingness to, in like blitz pickup, to just knock dudes on their ass. Like, yeah. like yeah. linebackers and blitzing safeties, like that was a, a significant part of what made him good. Like, when mm-hmm. Frank Gore was playing a lot, he was, mo- he was often the best blocking running back in the league. And like Mm -hmm. he would flatten dudes and you'd hear stories. I forget what year it was, but anybody listening can can Google this. And I think it's been written about plenty. But those practice, those joint practices back in the it had to be, at you know, in Frank's second or third training camp when they would have joint practices with the Raiders. And he was just destroying Raiders linebackers and safeties and blitz pickup drills to to the point where it was like you know, fights would almost break out, right? Or like fights did break out because Frank Gore was just flatbacking these dudes who mm-hmm. were bigger than him, right? And it was always, you know, what one one of the things that I enjoy most about training camp is just the opportunity to see things on the practice field that you won't see during games. And like early on, when I first started covering the 49ers, like some of my favorite drills during camp would be like watching Navarro Bowman and Patrick Willis go against Frank Gore and Blitz pickup. And it was like he would stonewall those dudes just as often as they would beat him, right? Like, and these are right. t- these were two of the best linebackers in the sport. And Frank Gore, you know, was an elite running back, but he wasn't viewed among his positional peers the way that that Willis and and Bowman were. But he was their equal, right? Like that. Mm-hmm. That's that's the thing I think people people might not understand about Frank Gore when you look at those Niners teams and all the elite defensive players that they had like Frank Gore was viewed on the same like at the same level as a lot of those defensive players that they had just because of who he was how he approached the game like you said and just how impactful he would be in ways that you know aren't necessarily fantasy football stats but like he would just knock these linebackers on their asses and there's a lot of value to that because if you if you take away a defense's ability to blitz that can really help right or if they do blitz and you pick it up then then there's even more space it's not defended downfield that that you can take advantage of right so it's it was you know frank gore and you know joe staley said this a bunch of times but just like one of the most complete football players i think i've covered um and you know I've, i've covered the team since 2013 so i'm not some like nfl lifer like a lot of my colleagues are but like just in terms of being a complete football player from everything off the field to on the field, to blocking, to running with the ball, um, to being a great teammate. Like he is all those things that, um, that I think anybody would want to have in their locker room. And and that's why he's so revered. And and that's one of the big reasons why you should probably go to the hall of fame.
1: You just called a bunch of your colleagues on the 49ers beat old.
3: Yeah, I'll do that to their face. I'm going to go see <laughs> I, I, I... <laughs> I'm gonna see Mayoko (laughs) later today, and that you know they give me grief and and whatnot. But I remind them that they're middle-aged men, and I'm I'm significantly in your prime. Yeah, I'm 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 still in my prime. Yeah, totally, and like not Um, not for like athlete years, but like prime, like you know career years. While they're you know right, not that they're not that they're aging out, but they're definitely aging.
1: Elder statesmen, yeah, for sure um i did not appreciate (laughs) speaking of um being old i did not appreciate your shot at my shoes on instagram um it was a post about uh men that wear new balance shoes and it was not a flattering post i currently am wearing some new balance shoes that's why i sent it to you They're new balance skate shoes they're delightful um i like them very much they don't hurt my feet which is what i'm going for (laughs) and um honestly don't appreciate it man i mean
3: yeah no you know? it's fine i mean if you want to wear new balances I've, that's certainly a choice that you can make
1: i've been saying i'm not a shoe guy what do you want from me
3: no that's fine i just remember you bragging about your new balances and i was like okay
1: they're awesome i'm a huge <laughs> fan of my new balances i'm actually my plan is to go buy like two or three more pairs of these okay just in different colors those that's certainly I my, a choice my, you can make these are my beater pair and then uh i'll have other ones that i keep nicer
3: good your, your, okay. res- your response was good i forget exactly what the post was but it was something about like girls liking dudes until they see he's wearing new balances or something and then your response was very appropriate and it was like sorry i missed this because i'm looking through my wedding photos <laughs> which is funny yeah. which That's is just, funny.
1: uh i i think i can use that joke like for one more week and then it's and then it's over but
3: Yeah, the statute of limitations on that one isn't super long. I would say you could go longer than that, though. I would say you can use that until your honeymoon.
1: Okay, cool. Cool, 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 cool. Like, like, you you
3: can be you can be a newlywed until your honeymoon. I would say if I were making the rules, that's like, like, once you're back from your honeymoon, you're no longer newlywed.
1: Okay, I like that. I'm in on that rule.
3: Is that fair? Yeah, because your 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 honeymoon's what two months after your wedding or a month and a half? Yeah, a month and a half. Yeah. I think that's. this great. is good content.
1: Yeah, this is really
3: good content. Tweet <laughs> Kyle. Tweet Kyle if you have a different take on on um, the statute of limitations on being called a newlywed.
1: Hey, New Balance, sponsor the pod. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, if they wanted to sponsor the pod, I would have zero objections. I'm I've worn one pair of New Balance. I bought one pair of New Balance shoes in the last like five years. And I just was they I don't know. They they look cooler in the pictures online than, than when I had them in person and, and wore them a few times.
1: I gotta tell you they're very comfortable uh i enjoy my no never mind i'm not gonna do
3: a whole. got to, got to get some adidas boost for you my man
1: i'll do a i'll do a pitch if if anybody wants to spot if any shoe company wants to sponsor i'm not picky i'll wear whatever <laughs> i'm All wearing right. my <laughs>
3: my nike sbs my dunk sbs that i probably got in 2012 hell yeah dude! They're love somehow. the nike so Dunk Shaper. sbs yeah big big dunk sb guy
1: yeah, who's not? You know, Bucky Lastic. am I right? <laughs> is he more Osiris? I'm gonna
3: go do some pop Shovits. and <laughs> all right.
1: Uh, he's Chris and Kyle. Subscribe, rate, review if you have not. Um, we really appreciate that. And we will talk to you guys next time.
2: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why?